From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics. New episodes of Women at Work premiere on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, and you can find our podcast 24-7 wherever you get yours. Be sure to follow the show on the channel's Twitter handle, at SXM Business, and find me on LinkedIn. So it's May, the beautiful month of May, and it marks the the start of Women's Health Month, a time dedicated to advancing the physical and mental health of women and girls everywhere. And here on Women at Work, we see it as a call to action, a time to try and understand, maybe even change, the systemic and individual obstacles that exist throughout the healthcare industry, while we work to share the information with one another that we need to live healthier lives, which is what today's show is all about. My guest for this discussion is Beth Badalino. She's the president and CEO of HealthyWomen.org, the National Women's Health Resource Center. Beth, so excited to have you with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Do you mind if I share a little bit about your background? A little bit. Okay. So Beth's worked in the healthcare industry for more than 25 years, defining, driving public education programs on a broad range of women's health issues. She launched and has expanded the HealthyWomen.org brand, which was recognized by Oprah Magazine and celebrated by Forbes for three consecutive years as one of the top 100 women's health websites. So as always, we're bringing you a real expert on the subject. Beth is also a practicing nurse in maternal health, maternal child health at Riverview Medical Center, Hackensack Meridian Health in Red Bank. New Jersey. She also holds degrees in political science, business, and public administration from Marymount, so she really knows what she's talking about. And like me, a devoted runner, and her special treat, she loves welcoming babies into the world. So Beth, thank you for all of it, and thank you for being here today. Thank you again, Laura. So tell me a bit, with all these, you have so many skills, you've learned so much, um, how did you wind at this place in your career? Why are you doing this? So it's funny, and I'm laughing because I'm thinking it, it was a whirlwind, and I wish I could say right out of college I was going to hyper-focus on women's health, but honestly, to me, women's health was an annual visit to my OBGYN and getting my birth control pills. Like, that's how, that's in what I, that was women's health. I did not plan this whatsoever. Um it just kind of fell into place and it and ended, ended up becoming a passion. So, you know, out of school, business and marketing, and um, I needed a job in order to stay in Washington, D.C. So I volunteered to be uh, kind of a, uh, a volunteer coordinator for, at that time, they called them candy stripers at a hospital in Washington, D.C. And I thought, oh, this is a great way I can, you know, coordinate volunteers. I'm really good with people. And one of, you know, one of my goals was to always get a nursing degree. Um, but being one of six kids um, and three under three at once, um, if I, my my father very blatantly said, if you're not going to school for business, you can, if you want to be a nurse, you can go to a great school in upstate, you know, in New York state, a SUNY school. And if you go for business, you can go to DC and go to a private school. So I'm like, okay, decision made, I'm going to go for business. But long story short, when I um, was applying for the position, they said, we have a position that we think you would be great at. It was with this Women's Resource Center. I started by answering the phones um, and responding to calls. And at that time, um, there was no internet. It was a 1-800 number. 
And, and I started understanding a little bit more about women's health, women's health topics. At that time in the early 90s, it was all disease focused. So it was, I'd just gotten diagnosed. And I just, it, a spark went off in my brain and I loved it and in my heart. And I went to, I finished uh, my nursing program and then con con uh, continued in the business and restarted um, this, this great organization in 1998. Um, the hospital that we were originally under um, was going to be shut down because at that time in the 90s, a lot of the smaller hospitals were being merged and acquired and the writing was on the wall. So I you know, created a business plan and then was able to restart this organization and launched the first women's health um, site that addressed all women's health and wellness issues. So it's so interesting to me because I'm connecting the dots here and making some assumptions. But, you know, I love the way that you described that the way that you thought about women's health care, you know, came from our own experiences. Yeah. We go to the OB or the yeah. midwife or whoever when we're having a baby and we go for our annual exams. And if something's wrong, we call the doctor. Right. Um, right. But, you know, I was look at taking in the website and I spent some time there and there's a lot of information there. It's about a lot more than that. And it sounds like this is quite purposeful. So talk to me about that. You know, I love that question because you're absolutely right. So I look at it from a, you know, like when, when I started in the, you know, early nineties, it was all disease focused and it continues to evolve. So I'm one of those people that it's glass half full. And am I saying that all that were where we need to be in women's health? Absolutely not, but we're gonna continue evolving. And so what we created at Healthy Women, um, so we renamed the, the business um, from the National Women's Health Resource Center, which is our legal name, to Healthy Women because we wanted something that women could relate to and remember. And mm -hmm. so healthywomen.org was created. And what we took into account was we're all about her from head to toe. It's not just about boobs. It's not just about, um, uteruses and pelvic health. It's about all of her from head to toe. And what we wanted to create is that place where any woman could go to. And we have you, we welcome you, we hold your hand, we listen to you, and we take you through the path um, to make sure that you get the information and or resources that you need to make an educated decision about your health. Um, and it continues to evolve because we know that women are living with and we've shifted to more prevention and wellness versus just disease. Not, you know, we still have that disease information, that encyclopedia type of information on the site, but we also understand how women are searching, what women want, more digestible information. Um, and if she wants that longer read um, and that deeper dive, we can give that to her too. We also work so well with other organizations and we've seen so many amazing organizations pop up that have such great information, that have amazing support groups that we wanna make sure that our audience knows about and is, you know, and we take them to them. So we make sure we serve them up with everything they need to know. And if they need to come back, that we're here for them. It's so amazing. I was recently talking with a friend of mine that we grew up where our Bible was our bodies ourselves. Oh, it was radical. Yeah. It was radical at the time, but also one of the only places where you could get comprehensive information, also for every stage of life. Right. Which was another really important thing. And I learned recently that they're not in publication anymore, largely because of the success of organizations like yours. They there there's now reliable information on the internet. There's so much information. And I think, 
you know, the, the only um, kind of asterisk I want to put is make sure, at, you know, as your audience is listening, if you're looking online for health information and who is it, you're going to organizations that are medically vetted and accurate, right? Because there's a lot of other, you know, mm-hmm. websites that have information, but you want to make sure that you're getting that, you know, the medical, medically vetted, um, solid information um, that's real and truthful and honest. Um, and what we do is we take it a step further and making sure that she has the questions that she can help start that dialogue with her healthcare professional, right? So giving her everything she needs to have, you know, a, a, a solid conversation. So do you have any tips for listeners on how to discern that information? Um is it that we should be looking for sources that are either .edu, .gov? What are some tips that you have for that. where we begin? No, I, I think that you're spot on, Laura. Like, um, you know, .gov, um, .edu, .org, all really good, um, good, you know, tips for when you're looking for health information. Um, and then there's some really good .coms. You know, WebMD is a great, or, you know, a great site for information too. Um, and then, you know, the Susan Komen Foundation, like we know some of the ones that are doing that are leaders in their field um, that provide that trusted information. And then a lot of the hospital systems, you've got Sloan Kettering, you've got Mayo, um, you know, they're all um, uh, Cleveland Clinic, all great, great sources of medically vetted, um, researched information. Yeah, and well communicated too, so that it's easy to understand and apply. So you're doing this in a context of a very complicated healthcare industry. Talk to me about how, like, where's the overlap? And and when are you trying to compensate for it? When are you working with it? You know what? We try to work with it and we really look, here's the facts. Here's what you need to know. Um, Here's the pros and cons you know, and here's the questions that you need to ask your healthcare providers. So we really digest it. We're not, we're not saying, you know, when we think about, um, I'm trying trying to think of a topic right now, let's, let's take menopause, for instance, because we're hearing so much about it. And we're seeing all these websites pop up. And it's the, you know, now it's the Vogue thing to do, you know, to, to be in the space to be in. But here's what women need to know, you know, just because there's a celebrity that's promoting, you know, their brand, that doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, that you need to be uh, taking those supplements, right? This is, this is an offering. And what you need to do is understand where you are on your journey, right? If you're just starting to have, (laughs) go through perimenopause, (laughs) um, you know, talk to your healthcare provider, but you can go in saying, here's what I want you to know about me. I'm not sleeping. You know, I'm waking up with, um, you know, just night sweats. Um, my period's irregular, you know, three months, I don't get it. And then the fourth month, you know, I it's, you know, it's horrific. Um, you know, go in prepared to have that conversation. You can use, you know, sites like Healthy Women and there's other sites too. And I'm not saying the celebrity sites aren't, aren't good. Like they have some great information, but it doesn't mean that you need to start buying their supplements just in order to, you know, stabilize. There's other offerings and you may not need anything at all. It all depends on you. Everyone's individual. And the one thing that we keep saying here at Healthy Women is one size never fit all. Like that never worked for anyone. So, you know, you, you need to do you and make sure you have all the information that you need to make that educated decision with your healthcare professional on what's, what's right for you. 
So it's interesting. There are these um, there are these experiences that are unique to women, but there's also a way that um, as we've started to, I think, become more aware of that women have not always been the subjects used in research, oh. that there's, you know, that there's so much medicine practiced and science out there that's applied to us, but didn't involve us. How can we learn more um, to protect ourselves when, when we're going for things that are not about our reproductive health, but instead it may be about our cardiovascular health? Well, you know, it's it's so interesting. Um, so the whole clinical trials, like that was so new to me when I first started, right? Because I didn't realize, like I just, I graduated college in the early 90s and I didn't realize at that time, clinical trials were only being done on men. And, you know, one of our uh, medical advisors and she's on my board of directors as well as Dr. Nisa Goldberg. And she was the female cardiologist that started the whole Go Red program. And I'm bringing her up because you mentioned cardiovascular. And I, I remember listening to her when I was, you know, when I first met her and thinking like, this woman is on fire. Like she is amazing. Um, and she's just making such inroads in, in women's health and women's heart health. And so here's what we need to know about clinical trials. Um, you know, they are now open to women, but some of the, when you're thinking about cardiovascular health and, and I just had a phone call with her a couple of weeks ago. Um, and she said, there isn't such a need now to do a 101 on cardiovascular disease again. Um, coming out of the COVID bubble, she said, Beth, all the work that we've done and we thought we were ahead of the game, we need to do a restart because women, if we went on the street right now and asked 10 women, she goes, guaranteed, you know, um, six out of 10 would say they had no idea that cardiovascular disease was the number one killer of women. Right. You know, right. And so, and for many of us, uh, especially women, high blood pressure, you know, the silent killer, we had no idea that we have high blood pressure. And now the correlation of um, gestational diabetes and women, um, like it doesn't go away. Like they're seeing, you know, heart issues with women as they age, if they were, you know, had gestational diabetes and weren't monitored afterwards. So there's a lot of things that are coming up. And so you'll see more and more work from healthy women being done on cardiovascular health again. But to your point, you know, when we think about cardiovascular um, health right now in 2023, understanding family history, making sure that, you know, when you go for your annual women's wellness visits, and I'll say that a couple of times during our conversation today, um, and they take your blood pressure, write down the number. You want to know the number because for many, and I've been there and even in my, my primary care, she's like, well, you know, your numbers are, your numbers are fine. And I'm like, well, what's fine. Tell me what right. my numbers are, you know? Um, and, or if they're high, understand what the, what, what the numbers are. So ask them for what is my blood pressure? Not just you're okay, or it's fine, or you're a little high. Um, and then, you know, understand when you're, if you get your blood test and most of us get, would get a full, you know, blood test to go along with our annual women's wellness visits. What is my cholesterol? You know, what, give me the number because all that information is going to help make you more informed and on top of what next steps you may need to take. And so if you're, you know, for instance, if your blood pressure is high or if your cholesterol numbers are higher or getting high, now's the time that you can fix it you know, right. Preventative health. So yes. my numbers are creeping up. Okay. So I'm going to start focusing on my diet. 
and I may start upping my, you know, exercise routine. And if my blood pressure is high, what's causing it to be high? And maybe I need to take more than one walk a day. And maybe I need to take, you know, implement something else. This is what's so great about 2023 is it's all about prevention and we can help prevent before we're diagnosed and then have to be on a drug for the rest of our lives, right? And so that's what helping women is hyper-focused on right now is making sure women are educated about the importance of prevention and educated on the importance of wellness and making sure that we're allowing time for us to take care of us, like me, that me time. So by the way, for those of you who just tuned in, this is Women at Work on Business Radio and Sirius XM channel 132. And I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. My guest today is Beth Badalino, and she's the president and CEO of HealthyWomen.org, the nation's leading not-for-profit independent health and wellness information source for women. So Beth, I want to explore some intersections for a minute. So um, in particular, you struck a chord for me. So, you know, it's no secret. I'm in my late fifties and went to the doctor recently and I have a healthy diet and I exercise and all of a sudden my cholesterol went up. It's not an independent piece of data though, because it's rise apparently has a lot to do with the stage of life that I'm at. Mm -hmm. How do we help women explore those intersections and understand, say, the relationship between menopause and the rest of our body's health and wellness? You know what? We we talk about it first, first of all, right? Because before, um, you know, menopause wasn't even discussed. And I can remember like, and my mom's here visiting me, so I'm not going to talk too loud, but you know, I just remember her going through it and it wasn't discussed, but it was just, you know, I, I just remember her when she was going through a hot flash and stuff, or, you know, her sweater would be coming <laughs> off and like, you know, she would be angry. It was just like, it was just so, and I'm laughing at it now because I think, you know, thank goodness it's shifting and we're able to talk about it. And when we think about as you mentioned, you know, high blood pressure or cholesterol numbers going up. It's like sharing that information and making sure healthcare professionals have, are educated too and are able to share that information with us too. Because another thing that we found out is that most healthcare professionals do not get educated in menopause. And if they do, it's like one chapter in their book and that's it. So- and, and, and it's one chapter in the book Yet it's arguably half of our lives right. are going to be spent in menopause. Right. right. So we're seeing a shift in that. I can say I'm saying the bad news, but the good news is, you know, uh, we work very closely with the uh, partner with the American Medical Women's Association, and they're changing that up. You know, they're making sure that that's going to be a bigger and stronger piece in medical schools moving forward. We work with a great um nurse practitioner who heads up a, a program at NYU, Langone, who's changing the nurse practitioner's uh, curriculum too, to include more, you know, uh, focus on midlife health and wellness for women. And now we have the nurse practitioners in women's health, a, a major organization that's focused all about women um, and midlife women. And we have NAMS, the North American Menopause Society, which is an organization of healthcare providers that are continually getting educated in the midlife health space. So we're seeing more providers that are getting certified or graduating with a bigger focus on midlife women. Thank goodness. Um, It's so one encouraging and interesting to see the intersections and the, um, 
the way these things are coming together so that there, real progress can be made. What about our mental health? So mental health, um, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing uh, a bigger improvement in understanding mental health. And, you know, as I say that, um, we here at Healthy Women think of women's health from head to toe. And um, we recently did, and I'm going to take us on a little journey before I answer your full question. Um, so we just launched, a, a, we just got the survey findings back from a huge survey we did last year called our national, and we're calling it our national action plan. And where I'm going with this is we did a survey of over 6,000 women to understand how they felt about themselves and their overall health right now. And, you know, in 2022, how are you doing? And um, more than half of the respondents said, I feel okay. I'm, I'm okay. And we're like, it's not okay to be okay. Like, just be okay. We need, we should, we should <laughs> fine is not good enough. It's not okay. Yeah. Um, so we can do better. And part of it was like looking at mental health. And so when I, when I talking about mental health right now, I'm thinking about the advancement that we've seen during the COVID bubble, like while we mm -hmm. were in the trenches, because now all of a sudden you saw telehealth and you saw people that had more access to mental to health, um, to counselors, to, um, you know, to specialists that could help them um, with their mental health, um, anxiety, stress, what have you. Um, and that's not going to go away. So I feel like that opened the doors and you're seeing more celebrities talk about their struggles with anxiety and stress. Um, and it's, we're destigmatizing, we're continuing to destigmatize mental health, which is a good thing. Um, you know, and we're, so I feel like we're moving in the right direction. Can we do more? Absolutely. But I feel that there's more resources. We're talking about it more. We're putting, you know, celebrities' faces and names to um, mental health, mental health conditions. And, you know, we're seeing more resources that are, you know, being um, identified to help support mental health. And, and I don't think, I think there's more need. We're going to see. That Clearly. There, yeah, there's, it's not, it's not a one and done. Um, but I feel like we're moving in the right direction finally. To what degree is mental health care being integrated with physical health care? Because um, when I think about it, they're not, one has an effect on the other in both directions. It does. Now, let me ask you a question. When you went for your, because you just said you went for your wellness visit, did they discuss mental health with you? Yes. And um, I'd say it it was in a rather cursory way, but I think the answer was because I'm doing fine. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and so they checked, they, I really appreciated. They asked, do I feel safe at home? Am right. I in any danger? Am I being abused? Am I frightened? Mm -hmm. um, they asked if I was experiencing any depression. Um, and I think that they were doing this and as depending on my answer would have been how the rest of the dialogue went. And to be perfectly honest, actually, I don't know if I've ever really talked about this with anybody right after I had my daughter. Now this was now a while ago. She turns 21 this summer. Um, I had an amazing midwife and I remember one appointment where I was surprised at how long I was there. And then I realized it's because she was asking me about my feelings and I was just so happy to talk about my feelings, but I realized in retrospect, she was really doing a very, I think 
thorough job of trying to examine, did I have postpartum blues? Did I have postpartum depression? Did I need a referral to therapy? Um, and, and in retrospect, I was so grateful that I got that because I don't think it was the norm. No. So that's okay. So the, the, here's where the intersections are. So now our primary cares are bringing it up, right? So I'm, I applaud that because it may not be an in-depth, but they're, they're, they're asking questions that we could have answer honestly, where it might trigger, you know, I would like you to, you know, I'm going to write you a prescription or I'm going to write you a referral, or let's talk about it a little bit more. And then I'm going to also right now switch to my nursing hat and say that um, because I do work in maternity and postpartum, um, and you know we are very thorough with our with our moms and making sure that they all take a you know postpartum depression um, kind of test like before they leave. Not to say that we're going to get all that information, but we're also paying attention to them while we have them. Mm-hmm. Um, see what their affect is what their life is at home. Will they have support? Is this their first baby? Were they, you know, we're asking so many more questions than we did when I first started nursing that I'm just so proud again of the direction um, and of the group additional groups that are popping up to support new moms, new families, um, and not just new mom, you know, just moms overall, um, legislation that's being put into effect to help support moms and you know, trying to change parental leave and get, you know, moms more support. And then as we look at aging and again, midlife health and our annual women's wellness visit, I'm so glad to hear that more and more providers are beginning that mental health. They're starting with those questions from the very beginning. Yeah, it's essential. And it's a good sign that we're moving in the right direction. So in our first half hour, we were touching on the issue of menopause, um, how you know, little information can be out there, how more information is coming now, um, and that it's a a substantial time in our life where we change in many ways, not just our reproductive cycles. Um, One of the things that, and you also mentioned, you know, it's become, I loved how you say it's in vogue. And um, it's like women are out of the closet. I'm out of the closet. We, you know, talk about this much more openly than we used to. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, I find that so comforting. Mm-hmm. I find it important. It brings dignity to things. Um, like living in the shadows, like this is shameful, is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But there's a thing that concerns me, which is that as we talk about the experience of perimenopause and menopause, the ways it affects many women, I'm worried that in a work environment, we may get stigmatized because the work environment is already so ageist. How do we navigate this? Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. But I think you're going to start seeing a shift in how the workforce, the work environment is going to need to change, is changing and will need to continue to change because they do not want to lose this market, right? When you think about perimenopause and menopause women, we are either right near the top of our career ladder or at the top leaders. Um, And, you know, a recent um, study that just came out from the Mayo Clinic said 1.8 billion in loss working time per year because of women going through menopause. That's a lot of money, right? Right. So the workforce is going to need to shift and change in order to embrace and do better for women going through midlife health, just like we did 
when women in the eighties for women that were having babies and wanting to come back to work all of a sudden. So I'm going to use that as an example, because I think everyone can identify and remembers when, you know, women in the eighties, like they had their babies and the big thing was like, I am going to go right back to work and I've got this right. And so women went back and they were trying to breastfeed. And they wanted to still do that. And most work environments were not set up to, you know, to uh, accommodate that. And so I remember working Women Magazine when that was in, in, you know, being published, um, created a template, like a uh, blueprint on how workplaces could set up a lactation room and it wasn't, it wasn't, it was so economical. It was like, right. you can use an old like broom closet, paint it, put a comfortable chair in it, um, put some nice lighting in it, maybe soft music and just be able to lock it and put like a sign like in use. On right. That, right? <laughs> and so many companies embraced that. And th- those little things w- made a huge difference and made it more welcoming that mom, you know, come that new mom coming back to work and, and providing her a space to pump in private. Um, we need to do the same thing with menopause. And the UK is doing a really great job at educating and, and giving, you know, providing that template for businesses to um, keep women um, in the workplace. And you're seeing that conversation take place now in the US and a little bit more. And it's not, again, not a heavy spend for companies, but it's going to be an important one because again, they do not want to lose these women. They, they you know, they yeah. kind of- so, so in the race for talent, which is a very real thing and the desire to retain women, particularly ones who've been knowledge workers, who have been cultivated over time and are primed for leadership positions. I agree. Like we know that there is an incentive to retain these women. One of the things that worries me is that concurrently, just with women who were pregnant, breastfeeding, taking maternity leave, there were untold numbers of women whose jobs were changed, who were deaccessioned, um, who were not given maternity leave, who were not their jobs weren't preserved, um, and I'm worried that a similar backlash is going to occur. Now there are legal protections and things like, you know, granted, what was it in the early 90s, family medical leave? Are there legal protections or do we need legal protections for menopausal women so that their employers can't just deaccession them because they seem more complicated? You know, I think I I love that that question because I don't have the solid answer, but, but here's what I can see where I'm seeing some potential good news is that employees want to know. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to be doing a presentation um, next week to a bunch of employer groups on how they can retain women, um, you know, how they can do better in midlife health. Right. And it's like simple things where, for instance, you know, um, have a conference room that you can control the the air, right? So Please, like, yes. Right? Like that's, not, that's not like just be able to turn it down. Um, being able to offer, you know, some classes or um, uh, some positive, you know, whether it's yoga, you know, additional classes for women that are going through midlife, midlife. Um, and and getting taking a survey of your employees to find out what their interests are. Um, It doesn't have, you don't have to zero in, but you can get some great nuggets of like, here's what we can do to help improve 
and um, meet the needs of our workforce today. And we do that all the time. You know, most companies do that, um, but we can kind of structure it where we can get some more um, feedback from women in midlife on what's going to be helpful for them, giving them leave during this this shift, right? We give leave to reproductive women and, and not to say that women going through midlife are still not reproductive because I've taken care of a lot of moms that be <laughs> babies and that's that's awesome. But, you know, making sure that we, you know, pepper in some things that are gonna keep our midlife moms because here's the thing is, it's not, and we don't, it's, we don't want, it's not anti-aging. We just want to age smart and age well, right? And so making sure that we're prepared um, to take care of women as they age at, from an ages and stages approach is just smart and it's going to be smart for business. I want to drill into some of the details. Sure. So, you know, the temperature thing and the hot flashes, because right. and those go on for like 10 years. Right. Um, and the, the um, even when the Senate was having this fight over the dress code and women couldn't be sleeveless, it's like, when right. was a, a male senator doesn't know what it's like to be 50 years old and have a hot flash right. and the importance of a sleeveless dress in that regard. But that's not the only aspect of it. What are the other physical and emotional experiences that are causing the need for the time off in menopausal women? And how can we help support them better? No, I think, you know, the sleep thing is a huge thing for women. Um, and I know I'm going through it right now. It's just, it's exhausting to, to be exhausted, right? And like, <laughs> right. You know, so it's just, it's the sleep. It's also, you know, the brain fog is real too, you know? So a lot of women are like, oh my goodness, what is going on? I can't remember, you know, um, and I'm I'm having to write, you know, stick it note, sticky notes to myself and you know, again, I just remember like when you had your baby, like you were leaving sticky notes because you were so exhausted. Do you remember like, oh, yes. oh my gosh, like don't, you know. Just, well, as, as a matter of fact, I happened to have been perimenopausal. I was sleeping maybe three to four hours a night and I traveled internationally and I had terrible jet lag and I couldn't remember my locker combination. I couldn't remember my pin code. And I went to my doctor, like I have early onset Alzheimer's. What are you going to do for me? And he was like, Laura, you need to sleep. Right. And that became like, I had a prescription where, first of all, like he gave me some ambient to help me and for exactly three nights, he's like, right. we're going to take you to sleep again. And, and it helped me get back on track and also other guidance for how to manage my energy, how to manage my sleep habits. Um, and it made a big difference, but this was frightening and very real. And it's something that nobody was talking about at the time. But what does worry me is when we say brain fog and work, I can hear employers saying, I don't want that. I need people who are sharp. But giving us time off. So here's the thing. If you need time, you can take time, right? And exactly. you're these companies with unlimited PTOs, you know, um, extended family leave. Like, so midlife health needs to be, part of the benefits. So as we, our brains aren't broken, we right, just need to take a nap. To pause. <laughs> Be able to put it, take a pause. No, I, and I agree. So I just think it's, we're going to hear more and more about it. And I wish I could say this is my idea, but it isn't. I'm borrowing and I'm listening. But I think looking at when we think about employee benefits and how we're, we, we want to keep people and retain them making sure that we have benefits that are going to appeal to midlife women is going to be mm -hmm. so important. Yeah, it's critical. And also that um, as part of those benefits, 
are the healthcare packages are also including the kinds of remedies that women need at this stage of life. Exactly. Exactly. And I think you can fine tune that going back to like that survey, you know, taking, taking uh, a pulse of what the women that are under your roof are looking for, you know, and even now with the flexibility that so many companies are offering now during, you know, that started during COVID, but are extending post COVID where they might not be back in, you know, they're not mandating back in the office for five days, but they want you for a couple of days. That may be godsend for so many women right now. They, that That's the perfect formula. And there's another, um, now that you're bringing like the, the pandemic bubble, right. another thing that it did, I, I know for me personally, and I think this applies to other people, um, meetings used to be in person. I work on a college campus. Um, I'd run from one side of campus to the other, you know, five or six times a day. Um, and then all of a sudden I'm on my butt in my living room on Zoom all day and year one gained five pounds, year two gained five pounds. They're definitely connected. Never mind that with menopause, we are uh, our tendency to gain weight increases. Right. So how so how do we deal with um, rising obesity and its relationship to our overall health? So the rising obesity, you know, we're seeing that unfortunately it's not just midlife women, but we're seeing that with our, you know, when we think about our, so many children that are affected with obesity right now. Um, but let's let's keep it on midlife health for the sake of our conversation, <laughs> or we'll do another show. Um, Happy to. So midlife women. So I think it's understanding the importance of, you know exercise right during the stage and we do you see a lot in the articles in the magazines and all the infographic you know it was bombarded about midlife health and the pouch you know the belly and <laughs> how to get rid of that and just take this and take that you know obesity we need to our, our big thing is making sure that um you take time for you I, I think this is the whole important part of taking time for you i think covid did you know, you aren't the only one that gained 10 pounds, you know, uh, women gained more, some women lost, whatever, but you need to understand what's good for you and try to find that balance. Easier said than done. Like, I love my sound bites. And I'm like, oh, it sounds so easy. <laughs> easy. But I think it comes back to the importance of taking a time out and making sure that you carve out time for you. And when I say that, I mean, you know, exercise, like we did a survey and people said, like, I, I I feel guilty if I put myself on the A list. You know, I put, mm -hmm. and then we dove in a little bit deeper. And your women, like in midlife, are taking care of everyone else, including aging parents, you know, or relatives. And we also found out that women will cancel their appointment, their wellness appointment or mammogram appointment, in order to take the dog or cat to the veterinarian, right? We, we do, we're guilty because, it, but we will not prioritize our health. So I think as we're talking about what companies can do, what we need to do, it's prioritize our, our ourselves, us, um, making sure we know we're never going to be number one on the list, but if we can come in at number three, I, I, I would be, I will take that as a win. Um, and the importance of exercise and eating well, which again, I know is a loaded answer, but 
it, it helps, right? So giving yourself permission and being able to schedule an hour off during the day where you can go to the gym or go for a walk, or sometimes just sit on a park bench and drink a cup of coffee and take a deep breath for your mental health. It's okay. And we need to do more of that. So two prong question here. Yep. So one, um, I think a lot of people know this, but I think it bears um, touching on is the relationship between exercise and mental health. Yes, huge. I mean, you're a runner, right? So, you know, yeah. like I, I, I always say to my, you know, I run with a, some moms and we say running makes us better moms. And it does because totally. I'll start with like high anxiety. And by the time I'm done, like we're laughing or, you know, we start and everyone has a, a like a problem that they want to just air as we're running. And so we're all our, we're like, we're saving ourselves in so much money <laughs> to have a counselor. Uh, to answer, to help us solve these issues. But I just think any type of exercise, even going for a walk can just help, um, just bring you down and make you realize, you know what? I don't need to send that email off. I'm good. You know, like so, I right. the email that I wanted to send. send and so here's up for my walk. Here's the, the other part of that question. So we know that with obesity, um, aside from we may not, you know, I had to buy all new pants and I wasn't crazy about what it looked like in the mirror. Um, it has a real health impact. What is the relationship between obesity and health, particularly for women at midlife? Well, you need to be careful about diabetes, right? So increasing your risk of getting diabetes. And again, that goes to understanding your family history of um, diabetes too. So, you, you know, you're setting yourself up for diabetes. You're setting yourself up for heart disease, um, high blood pressure, you know, the, the trifecta that goes with heart disease. So high blood pressure, high cholesterol, right? So that all plays a, a role in it. Then you're also looking at, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of, um, not only, but then your liver and kidneys, like it all takes its toll. And so if we can just think about how we can try to prevent or lose some of the weight that we gained during the COVID years, start exercising a little bit more, taking care of yourselves and eating better, you're setting yourself up for success as you age. Um, and it is important. And we know that obesity, um, you know, just, it, it can count. Um, you know. and, and it's not just that as time passes, we, um, these kind of chinks in our health armor affect us over time. It's also particularly for women that the loss of estrogen right. depletes certain, like estrogen played some protective roles in our health, correct? It does. It, yes, it does. Um, but again, exercising, strength training, um, you know, making sure that you're still doing things that, you know, for your brain health is also important. Um, and, you know, obesity, you know, cancer risks goes up with obesity as well. So it is important to make sure that you're tracking your numbers and that you're, you know, that you're trying to either, if you gain that 10 pounds, how can you lose that 10 pounds or at least lose five of that 10 pounds? And I am working on it, just so you know. I'm back Love in the it. pool, I'm Love running, it. I'm on Weight Watchers, it's working. Good. I'm feeling better about it. Awesome. Um, but with all of this, um, there, I want to come back to what employers can do. Because, mm -hmm. you know, clearly, I think you put it, that statistic was so poignant that we'll not go get our mammograms to take the dog to the vet. Mm -hmm. um, 
So that's an internalized pressure Mm -hmm. about what we prioritize and devalue. But also in our work lives, um, many, while some people are enjoying more flexible work schedules, um, the rigidity of the normal workday and the demands of the employer um, it make it makes it very hard for workers to actually carve out time. Are there programs? What does it take to develop programs where employers are actually saying, like just like they do with PTO, you have to take it? Is there any way to say you have to go for a walk during the day? No, I think, but I think the employees can be creative too, right? So you can take your call, but you can take it when you're walking. Um, yep. You know, you can do a walking meeting. And instead of going to the cafeteria and saying we're meeting for lunch, you can take your team and say, let's let's go. We're going to go, you know, walk around the park three times. Um, And I think employers, as we're thinking about better retention of the employees we have, what can we pull together that will make this more attractive? As we think about, we want them to come back to the office two days Mm -hmm. a week or three days a week. You know, opening that gym or giving them, you know, um, helping subsidize gym passes, you know, uh, a gym membership that might be close to the facility or they can pick a facility near their house, um, whatever is advantageous. Um, You know, a lot of these, a lot of the companies do have the gyms, but allowing their employees the time, to your point, to go and work out. So having lunchtime workouts, you know, being able to implement and say, you have our permission, actually, we want you to, you know, take better care of you. And we want to give you that time, um, you know, and we're going to give you an hour a day um, to go and work out. And that's, you know, that's all you need. A good 45 minutes to an hour to work out. Um, that's, I would take that. And so yeah. and for my team, you know, I'm like, schedule it. You, you are in control of your schedule, put an hour out on the calendar. Instead of taking lunch, go for a run or go to the yep. gym. You do you, and- but you have that. And something we do, because one of the gifts of, you know, part of what we're talking about is what organizations can do at the organizational right, level, right. which is really important because that's where we hit the most people. But for those of us who are managers, who have our own teams, we can also set culture within the team. And one of the things, and I'm fortunate that we work at an institution where um, we were given flexibility, we're on campus two days a week, but I worked with my team to set, how do we use the flexibility of our hours during the day? How do we craft a time when, say, from 10 to 3, we're expected to be available for each other? But if you want to start work at 10, Beth, and you want to work until 6 o'clock, have at it. If you want to start working instead at noon and you're going to work to 8, that's like, just make sure we overlap and we can communicate. And I think part of what it did was for the working parents on our team it made the return to work and school easier, but also they are a healthy bunch and they're all getting their exercise in. So smart. I love that. And I, I agree. And I think we, you know, there's no excuse now for us not to be able to do that. Um, you know, of course there's some really small companies that may not have that ability to overlap or, you know, the team that can just jump in, but I can say for healthy women, you know, I've tried, I've always, when I restarted this company, it was always about you know, how can we support each other? And because I had a lot of those new moms um, and the people that, you know, just wanted the flexibility and making sure that we could create that type of environment to make sure my team took care of themselves is so important. So what's next on your agenda? And what are the big projects in front of you? What should we know about if we want to support what you're doing? 
No, that's great. Thank you for asking. So the National Action Plan is certainly at the top of the list. So we you're going to we're definitely rolling that out this year. And again, it's a plan that really speaks to women where they are today. That being okay is not okay. Um, that we can do better. And it's all about aging smart and aging well, and making sure that women understand that preventative medicine and preventative screenings and you know the annual wellness visit is important. Um, and the importance of taking time to take care of you. So those are going to be key things. And it's all about head to toe health, not just um, breast and, uh, you know, uteruses. It's all about, you know, mental health all the way down to your toes. So you're going to see more from an education perspective and a policy perspective coming from healthy women in midlife. Um, so, you know, we just spent a lot of time talking about midlife health, but that's not going to go away. And that's our sweet spot. We're all about women 35 to 64, because what healthy women realized is no one is taking care of her, that women in the middle. So oh, that's, that's so interesting. That. Yep. Yep. You have a lot of companies and organizations that are focused on reproductive and um, you have a lot of companies and organizations that are focused on, you know, aging um, that 65 plus but no one is focused on that woman in the middle. And that's what we're all about. So making sure that we um, continue to advance conversations about menopause in the workplace, make sure that we um, continue to educate women about you know, what's available now for uh, in regards to managing hot flashes and midlife health and making sure that she understands that one size does not fit all. So just because her favorite celebrity is taking something doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> the importance of preventative health, right? Because yeah. we all know, you know, we have the gift now of understanding why, what happened to our grandmothers or why our grandfathers died. So taking that information and making sure that we set ourselves up um, for success as we age and try to prevent osteoporosis, try to prevent cervical cancer, which can be prevented. Um, the importance of vaccines um, as you age, especially if you have a chronic condition, and if you are diagnosed with cancer, you know, understanding what treatments are available, um, you know, medical devices and in, um, innovation is so important and technology is so important right now in, in her health and making sure that we have information that the consumers can understand and, and how to ask the questions and um, policy. Um, not everyone is interested in policy, but we want to make sure that we have the information on how policy affects your life. Um, and if you want to read about it or hear about it, it's on our channels. This is all such amazing information, Beth. And when it comes time for some of those big elections, if you want to come back and talk about the policies we should be aware of, we'd love to have you. So in the meantime, because I can't believe it, we've run out of time. Where can people go if they want to find out more? For more information on women's health, healthywomen.org. Terrific. Beth, thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a treat and I learned so much. So thank you. Thank you, Laura, for having me. It was wonderful. And if any of our listeners have a question about anything you heard on today's show, email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. You can find our podcast 24-7 wherever you get yours. And be sure to follow the show on the channel's Twitter handle at SXM Business and find me on LinkedIn. Many thanks, as always, to my amazing team, Teresa Kosadek, my producers, Dana Cash and Dion Simpkins, our sound engineer, Chris Tooks. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you've been listening to Women at Work on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Have a great week, everybody. And remember, head to toe, you're worth taking care of. And yeah.
to her inside and will shine yes will shine for more insight from business radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu Oh,